Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning, everyone. Yes, I am Tom, one of the pastors here. It's already been a great morning. Uh, Why don't you pray with me as we get started? Lord God, you are awesome and holy. Uh, You are above everything that we could think or imagine. You are in control whether we want to admit it or not. And yet you are loving and gracious and kind. You are long-suffering. And this morning, Lord, as we look into your word and we consider... uh, the teaching of Paul, I pray that you would help each of us sitting here this morning in this library room. I pray that your spirit would have free reign in our hearts to realize that the truths that were being communicated were for our benefit. And I pray that we would leave this place today looking more like you. And uh, we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. As Dina just read, um, we're in chapter 4, verses 2 through 9 this morning, and it talks about these two ladies in the beginning of this passage that are having an issue of unity together, and unity is kind of a broad term, and when you hear the word unity, it means a lot of things to a lot of people, and so I wonder, you know, can you be unified Can you enjoy unity and be different from somebody? Can you enjoy unity and disagree with somebody? I got to thinking, you know, it is the fall, and in the fall of the year is is football, and I love football. And so I was thinking about a football team and some of the very best football teams that are out there. They have 11 different guys on defense and 11 different guys on offense, so... Hang with me, even if you're not a football person, we'll try to, we'll we'll make it work. As these guys get together, they're very different guys. I don't know if you've ever seen them outside of their uniforms, but a football team outside of their uniforms look very, very different. There are some of these guys that look like they're from small town Iowa and, you know, they're all buttoned up and all of that. And there are some guys that are from different parts of the country and some of them have tattoos, some of them don't, some of them. I mean, they're just very, very different. And you look at this group of guys and you think, they don't look very unified. They look very different. They're listening to different music. They're talking seemingly in different languages. How can they possibly enjoy unity as a group? And I got to thinking, well, each guy has a position that he plays. And his position is very important to the team as a whole. So there's one guy who's 325 pounds and he's six foot five. And he's a lineman. And so he's, he's down on the front. And he has a job. His job as an offensive lineman is to keep the guy that wants to tackle the quarterback away, basically, or to get him out of the way. So he knows that his job is to go against the guy that's against him. And so he has to really pay a lot of attention to his job. And he he has to look at the techniques that he needs to have. So if the play is a running play and the running back is going to run along the right side of the lineman, 
He knows as soon as the ball is hiked, his feet have to go to the right side so the defender will go this way and he can push him to the left to create a hole for the guy to run through. Are you with me? Even if you don't like football, okay? And so it's important that that guy pay attention to what he is supposed to be doing. He needs to keep his center of uh, gravity low. He needs to push. He needs to do his job well. He needs to focus on what it is that he is supposed to be doing. The quarterback has a job to do. He's standing back there. He gets to play called in from the coach, and he looks out. His job is to look at the defense and to see if the play that was called will work based on what the defensive players are doing. And if it doesn't, then he needs to change the play to one that will work. And so he has a responsibility to the team to do his homework, to know what defenses to look like, and to know what plays to call when one defense is played. So he has a responsibility, and when he does his job well, it's really, really good. And that offense can score lots of points. Now there's people on the other side of the ball too. They've got a responsibility too. And their responsibility is to get the guy with the ball and don't let him get in the end zone to score points or even get close. And so the, the defensive back is the guy that's way in the back, close to the end zone, and he's looking at everything, and he has a job. His job is to make sure that there aren't any long pass plays that are going to happen. So his job is to watch the quarterback and see what the quarterback is doing and look at the guys that are running his way to see what they're doing. And so he has to know this quarterback has a tendency to look off the pass until the very last minute, which means the quarterback is looking the wrong way until he's ready to throw. And then he looks the right way and he throws it. This defensive back needs to know that that quarterback does this a lot. So just because I'm watching him and he's looking that way, that doesn't mean he's going to throw it that way. Oh, yeah, here's a guy coming all by himself, nobody around him. I'm going to run over there because I know he's going to throw it to him. And when he does, I'm going to intercept it and I'm gonna run it back for a touchdown. So he has a responsibility to do his job well and to focus on the things of his responsibility to make sure that he can do that well. And if he does that, and everybody on the team does that for their position, then that team functions in unity. The offense functions in a way that allows them to move down the field and score points. The defense functions in a way that can prevent that. And you can see every week the majority of teams that don't function in perfect unity. And it's funny, last week, I'm an Iowa fan, last week the quarterback actually took the ball and there were two running backs that ran into each other and fell down because they were not on the same page. They were not unified. They were not paying attention. And so you can have very different people with very different roles and very different responsibilities that can operate in unity, and that is the church. There are ears, there are hands, there are feet, and all of us in the body of Christ have a responsibility, don't we? God has gifted us all differently to do different things, but what is it that causes us to have unity? And that is the focus on Jesus. And so as we look at Philippians chapter 4 here, we have an example of two women, these two women, Yodia and Syntyche. That's the best I can do. And these aren't just two women. These are two very important women, people that have uh, been very influential in the life of the church there in Philippi. And um, 
they have fallen into a little bit of disunity. It says in verse 2, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche. Now, the structure of that gives emphasis. He's not just saying, hey, you guys get along. He's saying to the one, I urge you. And then he goes over to the other one. He says, I urge you. Now, will you allow me one rabbit trail today? We're talking about two very influential women in the church. We're talking about women who had worked side by side with Paul in the advancement of the gospel. We're talking about women that had a lot of <clears throat> influence on the church. And um, in our churches, sadly, because pastors are men, and we believe that the Bible teaches that elders are men, that somehow women are seen as secondary or something other. And I, I want you to hear from me as a pastor that God has used women throughout the Bible. Read it. And he has used women in very prominent, important ways throughout Scripture. I was looking at just a few of them. Miriam, Phoebe, Lydia, Rahab, Mary, Martha, Mary Magdalene, Esther, Ruth, Priscilla. We could go all day talking about the women that God used to the advancement of his kingdom. And they are in no way secondary to anyone. Okay? So if you're a woman here today or a girl, I want you to hear from me, from, from us, that... We want nothing more than for you to fully flourish in the gifting that God has given you because that will be to the benefit of our church, to you personally, and to the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I love it that this passage today is talking about these two women and that he was so concerned that their little disagreement might disrupt the entire church because they were influencers, not not influencers in the way that we are today because I've got an Instagram page with 58 followers or whatever. But these are influencers because of the work that they had done, because of the reputation that they had in the body. And people looked at them with a great deal of respect. And it was concerning that these two ladies were struggling. And they were struggling. But it is important to know that Paul doesn't talk to this other, apparently it's a man, it's in the masculine, and it is an individual, where he, he says in verse 3, um, to help these, uh, uh, help these ladies, let's see, yes, verse 3, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel on my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. So this, this helper, whoever this guy is, was asked to come help. Paul didn't say, would you go straighten these two knuckleheads out? Will you go in and correct them? Will you go in and drop the hammer? He didn't say that. He goes, would you help them? That indicates to us that these two ladies were trying to figure this out, but for whatever reason, they were struggling. They weren't coming to a resolution and they needed some help. And I think that that's going to that's gonna play an important role as we go forward. But they were important ladies. So as we think about unity and we think about the unity that was lacking here, Paul gives four 
uh, in this passage four um, practices that, that we're going to look at so that we can enjoy unity, so that we can have unity in the body. And this isn't new. This is something that Paul has been beating this drum throughout the book. I hope you've picked up on this. He has, from the beginning, talked about unity. Starting in, uh, in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, He has begun a good work in you, talking about Jesus. So what he is doing throughout all of these verses is bringing their vision up to focus on Jesus. That's where the unity is found. The unity in Jesus. Just like the unity of the football team is to win games and to win championships, that's what their focus is on. That's why they do the training. That's why they do the hard work. That's why they watch the film. That's why they do all of that so that they can have the goal. Paul is saying to these, these believers, your focus has got to be on Jesus. And he has pounded that drum throughout the entire book of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 23, I long to depart to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He's saying, I know that Jesus is better. That's where my focus is, is and I understand that. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, as citizens of heaven, he's reminding them, you're not just citizens here. You have a citizenship that is in heaven. Your focus should be up there. I know that I'm going to be there. I know that I am owned by the king. Chapter 2, verse 5. Adopt the same attitude that is in Christ Jesus. My life should reflect his life. My focus should be on the way that Jesus lived his life. And then chapter 3 and verse 1 is the first time he says rejoice in the Lord. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But your focus should be on him. I also consider everything to be lost. Chapter 3 verse 8. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. Again, Paul is hammering that drum. There is nothing to compare to knowing Jesus. He is the one that should be our focus. Chapter 3, verse 14, I pursue as my goal the price promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Again, my focus, my view is on heaven. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, again, he reiterates our ownership, our citizenship is in heaven. So throughout this book, he has been hammering the same thing. When you get concerned about me and the gospel failing, keep your eye on Jesus because he's the one that started it. He's the one that will finish it. When you get worried about what's going on, your focus should be on him because he is the one who is going to see you through. He is the one that is perfect and faithful. And now we come to these two ladies that are struggling, and the answer to them is the same as the answer that he's been going through the whole book, and that is focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Most of the time when we struggle with unity, it's because our vision is not on Jesus. These women both wanted to have unity, but it's not always easy to achieve. It's easy to get our focus off of Jesus and to forget the truth that should be forming, informing our decisions during times of conflict. Let me read that again. It's easy to get our focus off of Jesus and forget the truth that should be informing our decisions during times of conflict. 
sometimes we all need to be reminded of the truth. Uh, one of the verses that Dina uh, says a lot that, that I really appreciate is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> it says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war against the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. When the lies come in, we hold those lies captive, and we hold them up against the truth, and we say, that's a lie, and we get rid of it. We discern truth from a lie because of God's word. Satan would love to crush us under the weight of the challenges of life by using our emotions. And when he has our emotions, then he speaks lies to us. Have you ever felt like a failure and he's in there saying, you're a failure? The truth of that is Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. On your best day, all you can do is show up. You can't claim the glory for the things that God does, and you can't own the defeats because they were never yours to win. A lot of times, we put too much on ourselves more than what God does. And the reality is, is that God just wants us to show up. He's the one that's going to do the work. Have you ever felt alone and abandoned? And the lies of Satan come in and say, nobody likes you. You're a failure. Why would anybody want to be with you? And yet the truth is Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or abandon you. You are never alone as a child of God. And when Satan comes in and says, nobody likes you, nobody wants to be with you. You take that lie and you hold it captive and you hold it up against the truth of God's word. You say, that's a lie, get rid of that. Have you ever felt confused and not knowing what to do and just distraught? And Satan comes in and says, all that Bible stuff that you talk about is a fraud. It doesn't mean anything. You're sitting here, you don't have any idea what to do. And then we go to the Bible and the truth Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Basically, he will make his desires and your desires the same thing. He will put the desire within you that he wants you to have. You can trust that. That is truth. These women needed to be reminded of truth. They needed to have their minds refocused afresh on Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So of the four practices, the first one that we're going to look at this morning is to rejoice in the Lord. And we see that in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4 it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. You know, sometimes that's, it takes a little time to do, doesn't it? You know, if, if someone hurts me, I want to hurt them back. It's hard for me when somebody hurts me and I'm hurt to change my thinking 
and make it right and rejoice in the Lord and focus on the truth. So I have to give myself a little bit of um, time to do that. And how do I do that? I rejoice in the Lord's love. I rejoice in the Lord's forgiveness. I rejoice in his power. I rejoice in his wisdom. Before I respond to the hurt, I have to look to him. If you're in a position where you're tempted to respond wrongly, before you do that, the key is to turn to him and to spend a little bit of time worshiping him in his glory and his majesty and his power and his awesomeness and to rejoice in who he is. That's a refocusing. It may take a little bit of time and it may be a little bit of a a challenge, but rejoicing the Lord, I think sometimes we look at it as just this uh, English word connotes happiness and levity of spirit. You know, like yesterday, Iowa won. They beat Wisconsin. I was rejoicing. I was happy. But that's a, that's a very shallow understanding of what rejoicing is. It's so much more than just that. And, and I was reading this account of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's final moments. And I just want to read this to you this morning. It says, on Easter Sunday... April 7, 1945, Bonhoeffer was transferred to Flossburg to, and given a court-martial. The next morning, he was hung by, the, by his Nazi captors, likely ordered directly by the Fuhrer himself. Just before his execution, Bonhoeffer told his cellmate, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. The camp doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's execution later wrote, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor and praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout, so certain that God heard his prayer. At the, at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, then climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued a few seconds later. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man so entirely submissive to the will of God. In those moments and in those prayers, as Bonhoeffer was considering his imminent death, he was rejoicing in God. The fact that he could walk up those steps to the gallows composed and confident was evidence of the fact that he was rejoicing in God and that he trusted God and he believed God. So if we want to have unity in our family, in our home, in our marriage, in our church, the first practice that has to be a normal part of our life is rejoicing in God. Regular rejoicing in God. It goes beyond just, did I have my quiet time? Did I pray? Did I do this? Did I do that? A genuine, heartfelt time spent rejoicing in God. That needs to be a practice of our life and that produces deep confidence and deep joy. The evidence of that is in verse 5. It says, 
Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The result of being in a position of rejoicing in God is that it produces a mildness, a gentleness. This, this word graciousness, uh, it means mildness, gentleness, uh, probity is, is part of the meaning of this. And probity simply implies a tried and proven honesty and integrity. Somebody that has a history, a proven track record, and somebody who rejoices regularly in God will be somebody whose life is marked by mildness, gentleness, and probity. Let that sit for a minute. Because all of us are going to sit here today and say, I'm not perfect at that. I'm a knucklehead most of the time. And I do stuff that is embarrassing. And the encouragement to us is that God knows that. And that just like Paul's encouragement to these two ladies, you don't have to stay there. Wherever you are in your walk with God and your sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus, you don't have to stay there. Next week, you can look a little bit more like Jesus than you do this week. And a month from now, you can look a little bit more like Jesus than you do today. That is possible. And one of the important factors, one of the important ways to do that is to rejoice in the Lord. Now, at the end of, of verse 5 there is a little phrase that I, I kind of think might lead into the next practice. He says, the Lord is near. The second practice is to defer to the Lord. If the first one was to rejoice in the Lord, the second practice is to defer to the Lord. And we see that in verses 6 and 7. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the phrase just before that, he says, the Lord is near. I don't know about you, but as I've gone through the book of Philippians and I've listened to him say all of this stuff and he's lifting their vision up, lifting their vision up, focus on Jesus, focus on Jesus. It seems out there because I'm here and I'm looking at him someplace else and then Paul drops right here in the middle of this chapter this little phrase that says the Lord is near and that leads into this encouragement for us to defer to the Lord and to go to him in prayer just like you are sitting with a friend He's right here. We don't have to worry. He's right here. He's in this room. And if you're a believer, he indwells inside of you. You don't need to worry. He is right here. So if we want to become more like him, if we want to enjoy unity in the body, the second discipline to defer to the Lord is just that. Don't worry about anything. Instead, let our requests be made known through prayer and petition and thanksgiving. And the result of that 
is peace. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I know I've talked about the peace that, that God gives in tremendously difficult times. Um, two weeks ago, I was sitting in the back row back there, and my phone rang, and a friend of mine was calling me. And I thought, well, that's weird. He's in church too. Why is he calling me? So I stepped out and he told me that one of the young guys, 23 years old, that is in a men's group that we do on Friday mornings, was in a motorcycle accident and was killed. And so his dad is starting to come to our group and everything. And he's a believer, but he's in shock. And, and we've had some time to talk to him over the last couple of weeks, and it's just a, an, a, an encouragement to me for me to see this guy exhibit a calmness and a trust and a peace in the midst of a horrific time. This is a, a young guy that had been going through some tough times, and he had turned things around. He was going in the right direction. Everything was positive. Everybody was excited. And then this. You can't put words to that. And you can't even wrap your mind around it. And yet, we can go to God in prayer and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I can't process this. And he says, I'll take that. And I'll give you peace. You don't need to understand it necessarily but enjoy the peace that I provide to you. So, if we want to become more like Jesus, we need to defer to him. The third practice is seen in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, here's the key. Dwell on these things. The third practice is to dwell on the Lord. All of these things that he has listed out here, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, all of those are attributes of God and God and his beauty. To dwell on something is not something that we do a lot of today, okay? We are in an environment all day long of stimulus, We've got this ringing and this buzzing and this needs done and that needs done and we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here. And the concept of dwelling, spending extended period of time thinking about something is almost impossible because our mind goes over here. Even if we put our phone away and shut off every electronic thing and say, okay, I'm going to sit down and dwell it's hard, right? And yet it's a practice that we're being told is important for us to dwell on these things because guess what? We don't have to dwell on everything else because it's shoved down our throat and it's in our face. We have to volitionally push away and make space to dwell on the things of God. 
If we want to become more like Jesus, we need to dwell on the aspects of Jesus and seek to understand them deeply. I was in high school choir, and my choir director was a guy who was a, uh, an acolyte of this guy, F. Milius Christensen from St. Olaf College in Minnesota. He, w- he was a genius. Google him, look it up, unbelievable. This guy had a whole system of choral singing that was unlike anything else. And it was militant. Everything had to be exactly right. He had all of these things like purity of tone. Tone is the quality of your voice. Is it airy? Is it raspy? Is it whatever? Everybody's voice had to have the same tone. He had an emphasis on blend and balance, and he had different singers in different places. Uh, He had an emphasis on uniformity of vocal selections and uh, excellent intonation and accuracy of pitch. This was the funnest thing. So we've got about 100 kids in this choir, right? There's soprano one, soprano two, tenor, alto, bass, the whole deal, right? And you had the front row and the back row. The back row were the good kids. The front, front row were the not so good, but they could hear the ones in the back row and they could kind of practice that well. As we're practicing these songs, if a section wasn't sounding right, he would step out and he would have just that section sing. And everybody else is just feeling, man, I'm glad that's not me. And, and so you're singing. And this was a different time, Okay. He was strong, and he would slam the piano. He would call us names, and then he would get up in our face, and he would say the dreaded words down the row. And that meant you had to sing it in front of everybody else. And if you got it wrong, he called you names, and he yelled at you and asked what was wrong with you, and why can't you hear that? I guarantee you we all dwelled on our part to make sure that we didn't get in that situation. It took a lot of effort, a lot of work, but I'll tell you, when we sang as a group, it was unlike any other high school choir I had ever heard. People would come to listen to this group of kids, and we were just kids. There was nothing special about this group of kids other than the fact that this guy was so demanding and so clear on what it was that he wanted and he demanded from us that the end product was phenomenal. And there wasn't anybody that ever came close to the product that this group produced because they dwelt specifically on all of this stuff in the most minute detail. If we will dwell on the aspects and the character of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of God, if we will spend time, if we will make time to do that, our appreciation and love for those aspects of God will grow deeper and deeper. So, the third one is to dwell on God, then the last practice is to do with God, and this is in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the aspect, isn't it? You've heard, you've learned, 
You've passed the quizzes. You know the verses, right? You've read the books. Now it's time for us to go out and do what we have learned. Behave, if you will, in the way consistent with what we know the truth to be. Okay, so the Bible says not to return evil with evil. I know that. I know the verse. I know where it's found. I've got it memorized. And I know that's truth. But as soon as somebody does evil to me, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to live it out? Am I going to give it over to God? Am I going to live my life consistent with what God has taught me in his word? Because if I will, and I live that life as Jesus did, guess what people are going to see when they see my life? They're going to see a more accurate picture of Jesus. That's pretty amazing because it's not a better version of you at all. It is a picture of Jesus. And that's what we get the privilege of doing. If we will practice doing the things that we have learned, and I love the fact that it says the God of peace will be with you. Again, you're not alone. He's not somewhere in some far distant galaxy away from you. He is going to be with you. And it, it, it's almost silly, but I mean, have you ever been in situations where somebody's done something so offensive that you say audibly to God, can you believe that just happened? And have a conversation with God. He's right there with you. These are the practices that if we will implement in our life, then we can become more like Jesus. And we can, as these two ladies needed, we can enjoy unity amongst each other. Because if my focus is on Jesus, and I'm rejoicing in him, and I'm giving everything to him, my focus, your focus, our focus will produce unity in the body, even though we're very different. And we can have the kind of unity that Jesus wants us to have. We need to have our focus constantly on him. And so my request for you this week is for you to make time Make time to spend with Jesus. And then I want you to ask Jesus and ask others to help you focus your mind on Jesus and his work more consistently. Because just as Paul knew that these ladies were strong, godly ladies, they needed help. And I would hesitate to think that any of us in this room is probably as strong as these two ladies. We need help right? And so you should have people in your life that have the green light to speak into your life and say, you know what? There's something that I'm seeing that doesn't seem consistent with your faith. Do you have people that have that green light in your life? If not, this week is a time to, to make some calls, shoot some texts, have coffee or whatever and say, you know what? I want to be serious about my walk with Christ, and I know I have blind spots. Would you help me by speaking into me when you see things?
our focus has got to always be on him. You know, I think Jesus, not think, I know Jesus knew that that was going to be necessary for his disciples as well. And every week we come and we take the Lord's table together and it is time for us to focus on him and on the sacrifice that he made for us so that we can have this relationship with him. May that never, ever become just a thing we do. May it always be what he intended it to be, which was a time for us to revisit and consider the sacrifice of his broken body and the shedding of his blood that was necessary for us to have a relationship with him. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, if, if you want to just come forward and grab the elements, and then we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Lord, you are a great and an awesome God. You are loving and a compassionate and a just, just unbelievably patient God. And as, as we look at our own lives, we are frustrated with our lives, and yet you look at our lives and you love us. And may we sense more of that and may we reflect more of that as we spend time with you. I pray that uh, you would help us to enjoy the unity that's only available in Jesus Christ. And may each of us in this body take seriously our responsibility to be growing in you, to know you better, so that you can uh, be reflected more accurately. We're, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for these two ladies and for the, uh, the ministry that they had in this place in this time. And uh, Lord, may your, may your word change us this morning, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Mm-hmm.